Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. We're teaching, we're going to continue to teach for some time about the harvest because more than ever, God is calling us as a church and calling us as his people to become focused on what is foremost on his agenda, uh, bringing in lost people and delivering men and women from eternal damnation. And so today I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at what I'm simply calling the master plan. But Matthew chapter 9 from verse 35 to verse 38, we find Jesus saying these things to his disciples and the Holy Spirit recording them because he wants us to hear them as well. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Thank God for Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, or one translation said, dispirited and distressed. Like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's say that. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Um, There are over 7 billion people uh, alive on the face of the earth today. And of the seven billion, only one-third claim to be followers of Christ. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean they're actually born again, not not even that they're saved, but they're probably, they identify themselves as Christians. That means there are at least 4.7 billion people who are living without Christ and could die without Christ. And of the 4.7 billion, there are as many as 3 billion who at this point live in communities where there is no church, where there is no opportunity in their community to hear the gospel, to be discipled. That is the state of the world we live in today. And that is why the business of winning the lost at all costs 
and making as many disciples for Christ as we possibly can in our generation. It's something that you and I really need to give some serious thought to and ask ourselves what we are going to do and how we are going to work with the Lord in order to address this issue. 4.7 billion people are living today without Christ and most of them without even the knowledge of Christ. Uh, many years ago when I was in college, I had a, a German roommate. And in Germany, in Germany, where the Reformation, the land of the Reformation, and Martin Luther, in Germany, he, this, my, my, my roommate said to me, he told a young German boy once, God loves you. And the boy said, God? Who is God? In Germany, a young boy had never even heard the name God mentioned once. So we, you know, we take for granted. We here in the, in, in the U.S. and in, in, in this area, we take for granted how privileged we are. You know, we have Bibles that we can read. We have a church like this one that we can come to every week. Uh, you have access to so much information concerning the gospel. And yet there is a whole lot of people numbering in the billions who, if you said to them, Jesus, they've never heard that name. It's hard to believe there are billions of people who have never once heard the name Jesus. You know, during Christmas now, the whole world celebrates Christmas. And it may have been a couple of years ago, they were showing some folks in China celebrating Christmas. But when they begin to ask the folks what Christmas was about, they had no idea. It was just something, they, you know, it's when you buy presents and you give gifts. But the reason for Christmas, they had no idea who Jesus was. I'd never even heard of Jesus. They were just saying Merry Christmas. That's the state of the world we're living in. And this is why the salvation of lost people and the preaching of the gospel is uppermost on God's mind. This is the foremost need on the mind of our Father today. You know, Jesus said that the sheep, the people, as he saw them, they were like sheep without a shepherd, uh, scattered. Now, we're not shepherds, and we're not very familiar with sheep, so that image may not move us emotionally. Sheep scattered. Uh, and so last week I told you that perhaps to understand it more fully, you need to think about it in this way. These people who are lost, as the Bible describes them, they're like little children, a, let's say a toddler, who has wandered from home into the woods in winter and doesn't know how to get back home. Any mother, any father who discovers his little child has wandered into woods, especially in winter, would make that 
the priority. Nothing else will really matter at that point except finding that child and finding that child as quickly as possible because time is of the essence. Well, that's how our Heavenly Father views lost people. Those are his children, toddlers, and who have wandered away from home. And they're in danger, and they don't know how to get back home. And so, not only is it a priority for him, he wants it to be a priority for us. May God move our hearts like he moved Jesus' heart. The Bible says when he saw these people, he was moved with compassion. It was a, no, it touched him. It moved him. And it moved him so much that he left heaven and came to earth on a rescue mission to find them and bring them back. And may we be moved from the comforts of our home, the comforts of our beds, <laughs> from the comforts of all that we do. May we be willing to step out of our houses, step out away from some of the things that we prioritize in order to be used by the Lord to bring those lost children home to God. They don't know how to get there. Jesus is the way, but they don't know. Somebody got to tell them, you know, this is the way back. And that's where you and I come in. God is not angry with sinners. God is, is moved by compassion for them because unless they come home, they're going to spend eternity away from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Amen? Now we learn in this text that we read that he has a plan. Jesus is concerned God is concerned, and God has a plan, a plan for bringing the greatest harvest of souls possible in our generation home. And he has a plan to use this generation of believers, as you and me, to reach this generation of lost people. Did you hear me? He has a plan to use this generation of believers, that's you, that's me, to reach this generation of lost people and to plant the seeds that will reach the next generation. That's a plan. And this is a priority for him. Hallelujah. Now, I begin by describing how many lost people there are and how many people who have never heard it. And, and that should move us with compassion, but it should not cause us to feel hopeless. We should not consider the, the task so big that we become so discouraged that we don't even want to attempt it. Because when Jesus looked at the harvest and described it, he, he was not discouraged by what he saw. In fact, he was encouraged. And I will tell you why. You know, some time ago I, uh, I read this. Uh, two, two salesmen, two different salesmen, were sent to an island uh, to sell and mark his shoes. And, uh, you know, this is an illustration to, to make a point. The first salesman, shoe salesman, arrived on the island, and he noticed that nobody wore shoes. 
And so he called back to the headquarters and said, listen, you know, I'm coming back because nobody wears shoes on this island. Sometime later, a second sales, shoe salesman was sent on the same island. He saw that nobody wore shoes. And he sent back a message, send me more shoes because everybody needs shoes on this island. You see, how you look at the situation matters. And when Jesus looked at this harvest of, of souls, so many who were far from God, he was not discouraged. He actually was encouraged because this is what he said. He said, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, he saw the great potential of the harvest. He saw the huge opportunity just waiting to be seized. He saw people who could be reached. He saw people who were open. He saw people who were ready to hear the gospel. And he said there were not a few. There were many. And so among the 4.7 billion, there are many, 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 multiple billions who are open and who are ready to be reached and brought in and brought back home. They are there just waiting for someone to tell them the good news that God has included them in his plan of salvation. That when Jesus went to the cross, he took them there with him. He took their sins. That he has already paid the price. That God has already forgiven them of their sins. That eternal life is their portion. And all of that is found and, and experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. What good news. And so when Jesus sees the multitudes, his heart is moved to act. But he, he, is, he, he does so filled with hope that multitudes are indeed ready. And multitudes can be won and brought into the kingdom. So his response was not to scale down his soul winning business. You know, during the, this pandemic, a lot of folks have had to scale down. Some have gone out of business. But when Jesus saw the harvest and saw that it was so plentiful, his approach was not to scale down, but actually he saw the urgent need to expand the soul winning business, to increase the workforce, to get more people on the job than ever before. And that's what he said. He said, listen, the harvest is so, so huge. The problem is there's a shortage of laborers. We can't let this opportunity pass us by. We need to increase the workforce. We need to expand the number of people on the fields who are going to work with me in order to bring in the harvest. So this is a time of expansion in the workforce. And, and, and that's where you and I come in. Because you see, he has a plan to increase the workforce. He has a plan to increase the number of workers. Because the problem is not a shortage or, or lack of interest as far as the harvest. Jesus said it's plentiful. That's a promise, and we know he doesn't lie. So he's telling us there, 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 there's a huge number of people that you and I know that live in this area and that live all across the globe 
who are literally ready to be brought in. And all they need is for someone to tell them how to get from where they are back home to God. And we know Jesus is the way. Amen. We know Jesus is the way. Hallelujah. So he's expanding this workforce. And I believe that's one of the reasons he's spoken to us in recent times to actually change our name. To begin to call ourselves Harvest Intercontinental. And to begin to identify ourselves as harvesters. Because he's expanding the workforce. He's recruiting more workers. He has this plan to bring in the, the harvest. And that plan includes this church. And that plan includes you and me. Quickly, as we look at the text and we consider the plan, we see there are three things that he includes that are essential to this assignment, to this mission. One, as I've already indicated, because of the shortage of workers and the humongous harvest, this plan requires workers, and more workers, many workers, not a few. It's as though Jesus, because the text says Jesus had gone out and he had preached in the cities and the villages and the synagogues. And then he said, wow. The harvest is truly plentiful because he saw the kind of fruit and results he was getting. He said, the problem is I'm on a one. We need more workers because I'm at that point, I'm on a one man. And the harvest is just too great for one man. And so he was saying to his disciples, we need more people to get out there and do what I'm doing. And do what I'm doing. So the plan requires workers, more workers, many workers. Say workers, not church attendees. Workers, not church members. Workers, not buildings. Workers, not critics and complainers. Workers. Laborers. You know, we don't labor for our salvation. Our salvation is Jesus did all the work and we just enjoy it. But when it comes to Bringing in the harvest, he calls us to be co-laborers together with him. Bringing in the harvest is when required our involvement, our time, and our effort. And so he's looking for people who are willing to get out of their homes, get off their beds, and go to work with him in the father's field to bring in the harvest of souls. Jesus compares this to agriculture work and, and harvest time is not glamorous. It's, it's, it, it's, it's work. It, it takes patience. It takes perseverance. I'm glad in the natural I'm not a farmer because it's not easy work. And Bringing in souls is going to require perseverance on our part, patience on our part, but it yields great fruit and results in great joy. Amen. We're told when one comes to Christ, heaven rejoices. And if you have ever been an instrument to bring someone to Christ, you know personally how rewarding 
that can be. Say hallelujah. Come and raise your hands and say, Lord, I want to join you in the harvest field in bringing in the harvest of souls for whom you died in Jesus' name. Amen? So it is his harvest, but it has to be brought in, and he is looking for us. Secondly, the, the, the plan, the master plan for the harvest requires workers, many workers, and it depends on prayer because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. And the next thing he says to his disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest that he may do what? Send forth laborers into the harvest. Wow. That's how important we are. Not only are we important to God's plan to actually go to, into the fields and work, but we are also critical to this plan because this plan, according to him, requires workers, more workers, and yet that will not happen apart from our prayers. So then, it is essential to the work that God has called us to do that we who share his burden for the loss will understand that that burden can only be fulfilled if we make the decision to pray about the harvest. That's what is suggested here. If you don't pray, then there will be there will not be enough laborers, there will not be enough workers, and if there are not enough laborers and workers, the harvest will not be brought in. So that's why we who are burdened for the harvest, we who see what the Lord sees, we who want to join the Lord in his work in the field in order to bring in souls have to understand that the place to start is the place of prayer. Now, that, that, this is a sobering thought because what this tells us here is that the number of workers in the field and the degree of the harvest actually depends upon the prayers of Christians. It actually is a sobering thought because if you take that one step further, it means eternal life or eternity in hell depends upon us and our prayers. I mean, those 4.7 billion people, they're state eternally is to a, to a significant degree dependent upon us praying concerning them, praying about them, praying for them. Uh, I believe it was John Wesley who said that it seems that when it comes to the sphere of redemption, God does nothing in his sphere of redemption apart from the prayers of his people. That's how God has designed the system. That he will move, he will work, but he will move and work when we, on earth, ask him to. So we are, we, we, we don't pray to God and say, God, if it be your will. 
but we ought to pray to God according to his will. Because God will hear the prayers that are prayed according to his will. And when he tells us his will, and then we pray according to his will, then God hears that prayer and God answers. And what Jesus has just told us, God's will is for an increased number of laborers, quantity and quality workers for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. Now, we know what his will is. And if we in simple faith and obedience will begin to pray according to his will, God will answer. And we will begin to see an, a significant increase in the quantity and the quality of the harvest, the laborers in the field. Now pay attention to what I'm saying and pay attention to what Jesus said. Yes, we must pray for the salvation of lost souls. Paul said, my desire, my prayer to God is that Israel might be what? Saved. So part of our praying ought to be that people might be saved. We ought to be saying, God, my desire is that John be saved. My desire is that Peter be saved. My desire is that only be saved, oh God. Are you listening to me? That's a prayer that we ought to be praying. Paul also said, pray that utterance will be given to me. A prayer we ought to be praying is, God, give utterance to the workers. Lord, give utterance to the preachers. God, give me utterance as I go about the day-to-day -day affairs. Give me utterance that I might proclaim and share this glorious gospel. Paul said to the saints, also join me. Pray that a door will be opened unto me, that God will open the way for me to come to you to preach the gospel. So let's pray that God will open the doors in our places of employment, where we live, where we go to school, where we, we, we do business. Let's pray, God, open a way, open a door for me to be able to share this glorious gospel with those who do not know you. We ought to be praying that men may be saved, that doors might be opened, that utterance might be given to us. But in particular, Jesus said, pray for laborers. And so let's on a regular basis stand before the Father and declare unto him, Father, the field is ripe, the harvest is plentiful. We pray for more laborers. Quantity, quality, increase your workforce, O oh God. Move upon the hearts and minds of your people that they might be moved by compassion to go into the fields and share this wonderful gospel with those who do not know you. And so the plan requires one, workers, you and me, this church, we together and we individually making ourselves available to go with the master into the field to bring in the harvest. But it depends upon prayer. And so we must also engage with him in this business of praying about the harvest. In particular, let's pray for workers. That was a problem then that Jesus was articulating it's still a problem today. Still a problem today. You, you notice that we've been asking for workers for a while right here. That there's a work to be done. This gospel must be preached. People need to be discipled. 
uh, people need to be taught this is something that requires work and we need workers and, we be, we, and we're appealing for workers. Maybe we ought to start praying for them because obviously the appeal by itself isn't enough. So we need to start saying, Lord, give us more workers here. Give us more men and women here who, who are not content to simply come but who want to be involved with you and with us in reaching this world for Christ. Say, Lord, we pray for workers, more workers, quality workers for the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. And then lastly, Jesus said, pray ye to whom? The Lord of the harvest. You can't leave the Lord of the harvest out of this. Amen. Yeah, workers required. Prayer, essential. But hear me, the plan rises and falls on the Lord of the harvest. It is his presence. It is his power. It is his wisdom. It is his glory that makes all of these things work. If you go without the Lord of the harvest, you're going to fail. If you, don't, if you pray, but not to the Lord of the harvest, nothing's going to happen. It rises and falls on the Lord of the harvest. And so hear me, we must depend upon him and rely upon him for the results. Only he can bring forth the fruit. Paul said, I, yeah, I was a worker, I planted. Apollos was a worker, he watered. Jesus said, we preach, we plant, we teach, we water. But then Paul said, it is God, the Lord of the harvest. It is God who gives the increase. It is God who brings forth the fruit. And so we must rely on him if we want to see the kind of fruit that he desires and we want to see when it comes to winning lost souls. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witness. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit. As we go, as we pray, let us do all things totally relying upon the Holy Spirit, upon his power that must be present, that must be active for anything we do to produce lasting eternal fruit. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And he said, lo, I will be with you always. Again, this plan is not going to work without the master. You see, it takes the master himself to fulfill the master plan. So as we look at the harvest and as we consider the loss, let us not do so apart from our faith in him. Let us do so believing that he who is sending will also be the one going in us, with us, and will work through us in order to bring in the fruit. Lord, I'm sending you. I want you to say yes. I want you to be obedient. I want you to go. But I always want you to understand 
that you must always go in faith. Always go knowing that I am going in you. I am going with you. I am going to be going through you. And you're not ever going to be out there in the harvest field, bringing in the harvest, and you're going to be doing it all by yourself. We are always going to be engaged in this together. So one of the things we harvesters need to keep in mind is that we're always partners with him. He's always present. And as we go, let us be conscious of his presence, conscious of his ability and work in us and I work through us, conscious of his power to draw all men unto himself. As we share the gospel, as we pray, we're believing that the greater one is at work. And it is he who at the end of the day is going to be responsible for gathering in the harvest. Lo, I'm with you. And then in Mark, he says to them, you go and preach the gospel and preach it to all creatures. And he says, lo, he says, these signs will follow you. And at the end of the day, the Bible says, and they went everywhere. Oh my goodness. He told them go, and what did they do? They went. Hear me, I said he told them go, and what did they do? He has told us, go, what do we need to do? They went everywhere, preaching this glorious gospel. And then the scripture says, and the Lord worked with them. I like that. We don't go alone, but we do need to be willing to go. We need to take the step of faith and, and say, Lord, I'm going. They went, and they went where? Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them them confirming the word with signs follow. Hear me, as we labor as harvesters, as we say yes, as we join him in the fields, as we are willing to open our mouths, as he creates the opportunities for us to share the glorious gospel, as we do so, let us always be mindful, conscious, let us also always be believing that he is with us, working through us, ready to confirm his word, his reality, his resurrection with signs and wonders. He will make himself real to those to whom we speak. Say hallelujah. So we never do this in our own strength or power. We don't go alone. We go conscious that the Lord is in us, working with us and through us. In Jesus' name. Now, this is the master plan. It involves us Praying, sending, going, trusting, praying, sending, going, and trusting. The invitation is for us to participate with him in what he is doing. What a privilege. What a privilege. Now, it's decision time. There has to be a response to what he has called us to. I pray that the decision we make on an individual level is certainly a decision we're making on a church corporate level. Is that, you know what? If this is what's on his mind, then we're going to put this on our minds. If this is what he's prioritizing, then we're going to find a way to prioritize this in our church, and in our lives personally. 
If he's promised that the harvest is plenteous, we're going to believe that. If he promised he'll be with us, we're going to believe he's going to be with us. If he promised he's going to confirm his word, we're going to believe he's going to confirm his word. If he's willing to work through these vessels to bring in the multitudes, then Lord, here am I. Use me. They went everywhere. And you know what that means? It means some of us have to be prepared to go across the ocean as missionaries to go to places where this gospel has not been preached. I know it's going to be sacrifice. You're going to have, maybe, maybe have to leave the comforts of your job and your career and all these wonderful plans you have for yourself. You may have to say, Lord, you know what? These things don't really matter. I'm going to leave all of this in order to go and be your man, your woman, to take this gospel to those people who have never heard. Some of you would have to say yes to that because you will sense God calling you to that. But for most of us, we don't have to go across the nation. We just have to be willing to go across the street. Or to go across the hall. Or to go across the room. Because there are plenty of people right here where you and I live that we interact with on a regular basis who are ready, who are prepared, who just need somebody to tell them and to love them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's go across the street. Church, let's go across the road. Let's go across the hall. Let's go across the room and tell them about Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just stand to your feet. And if you're watching by, by live stream, wherever you are, hear me. If you are a Christian, then I pray that you will respond to this invitation from the Lord to join him in the fields and participate with him in the most exciting and significant thing you can do with your life. And that is to bring those lost children who have wandered from home and don't know how to get back to bring them back to their father before it's too late. Join Jesus in that. Pray, send, go, and trust. Join him in that. And those of us here, I pray that you will do the same. Accept the invitation. Join the Lord in this call to bring in the lost. But if you're watching and perhaps you are one who have not yet received or one who is still lost, you're, you're far from God, you've lost your way, you're, you're looking for him and you might, you might not even know you're looking for him, but you are if you don't know him. Hear me. Here's the good news. Jesus is the way. And perhaps today, the reason God has you now looking and hearing this message is because he's found you. 
And now he's prepared to bring you home. Your part is to believe. And so right now, we're going to lead you in a prayer. And it's a prayer that if prayed from your heart, is going to transform your life forever. Literally, this prayer has the power to bring you into the presence of God, into the family of God, with every sin totally forgiven. This prayer has the power to impart to you eternal life and to guarantee for you a place in God's heaven forever. Wow. Are you ready? Then let's pray. Just pray after me. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and you died for the sins of the whole world. You died in my place. I deserved to be punished for my sins. But you took my place. Today, I confess I have sinned against God. I confess I cannot save myself. So today, I choose to believe in you as my Savior. I confess you as my Lord. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. By your power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Simple prayer, simple words, but if that was actually prayed from your heart, and you meant everything you said, then I am here to say to you, your sins are totally forgiven. You have been found. Now we want to help you grow. So please, 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 please communicate with us. Contact us. Let us give you the information you need now so you know what the next steps are in Jesus' name. Come on, let's clap and give God some praise. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.